There's an old episode of This American Life, and I don't know how many of you are fans of that podcast. It's called How Bad is Bad? Uh, and in this episode, Ira Glass interviews three teenage boys who are ages 13, 15, and 16, and they're all from wealthy families, but they're all trying to be criminals, and they're not doing a very good job at it. And so they have this, he has this conversation with these guys. They're involved in computer kind of online theft and credit card fraud and this kind of stuff. And he has this conversation with them, and it kind of starts to turn toward issues of repentance and issues of, of heaven and hell. And so they talk about that a little bit, and then This American Life has somebody do a, a radio play, which is kind of their imagining how this conversation would go if it, if it kept going, if you, if you can follow me with that. And so there's a couple of guys in this conversation, one of them's named Peter and the other one's named Caleb. And Caleb asks Peter, he says, what's wrong? And, and Peter says, nothing, just I'm afraid of going to hell. And he says, what, why? He says, I don't think I'm a very good person. That's ridiculous, Pete. You're a very nice guy. You write letters. I never write letters. Yeah, but what if you do something bad? How bad does it have to be? I mean, if, do you have to, if you feel like it's bad enough to damn you, are you damned? I mean, if you don't feel any remorse. And Caleb says, is that it? You betrayed somebody and then didn't feel any remorse? Well... Well, how can you say you don't have any remorse when you're practically tearing your hair out worrying about going to hell? Well, being afraid of punishment isn't the same as remorse. Remorse is truly feeling apologetic for what you've done, not just worrying about being punished for it. And just how do you, you know, you try to tap into the place in yourself where you have truly apologetic feelings because you want to be sincere, except I realized I discovered that there was no such place in myself. And where that place should have been, there was just an empty hole and it was frightening. It was like staring into the abyss. And so Caleb says, well, go see the Pope. Ask for absolution. But you have to be repentant. I'm not repentant. Well, you could just act repentant. That's what ritual is all about, going through the motions. No, I'd have to be truly sorry in my heart or it wouldn't save me. That's a very rigid attitude. What do you mean I can't just pretend to have remorse? You haven't even tried. I mean, the Pope is a very nearsighted, distracted old man. If you buried your head in your hands and pretended to sob, I'm sure he'd buy it. And then Peter says, it's not a question of fooling the Pope. It's not a question of fooling the Pope. You have to be repentant. Repentant. Uh, Acts chapter 3, the Apostle Peter says, Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter again says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so the the call of the Bible, the, the call of Christianity, the call of the church, the call of God even to you and me is to repent. To repent. But why is that needed? And what does that look like? And how can that possibly be good for me? That's what we're going to think about today. So if you will look with me, I'm going to read this for us. Uh, The book of Hosea starting in chapter 5 verse 8. This is God's word. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth-Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. 
Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks um, for your word and, and as you give it to us in a language that we can can understand and wrestle with and think about. Uh, I pray that you would give clarity to my thoughts and to my speech this morning. Uh, And above all, Father, I pray uh, by your Holy Spirit that you will work in our hearts so that we might understand repentance uh, and be repentant people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So three things we're going to talk about. Why do we need to repent? What does repentance look like? And then what does repentance bring? First of all, why do we need to repent? Uh, I was reading an article recently called The Bad News of Just Being Yourself, uh, in which the author talked about he and his family always have a family movie night, but he said he was beginning to get uneasy with some of the movies that they were watching every week. And he said it wasn't because they had all this sex and gore and violence and profanity or anything like that. He said he was starting to get uneasy with them because, in his words, the main theme was the false gospel of finding freedom and being true to yourself. And he said the first time it kind of dawned on him that this theme was running through all of these movies was in the show The Greatest Showman and the the song This Is Me. And he says on the one hand, he appreciates this song because it pushes back uh, against prejudice. Uh, But then that's not all it does. Here are the lyrics. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out because here I come and I'm marching on to the beat. I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. And, and basically the, what that song is saying is, is you do you. You do you. And, and that's really the cultural theme of our moment. You do you. Uh, Elsa in Frozen says basically the same thing. The wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. And then there's Oprah's character. In, I know y'all are disappointed I didn't sing that. And then there's, there's maybe next week, come back. Um, 
There's Oprah's character in the, the movie version of A Wrinkle in Time uh, who says, you just have to find the right frequency and have faith in who you are. And so what the author kind of concludes is to express oneself is a primary value of our times. And he says many family films are just emphasizing this spirit of the age. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. It's not that everything that's being communicated in that is all bad. Because we're all, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian or a Buddhist or, or whatever you are, we're all made in God's image as human beings. We're made in God's likeness. As Psalm 139 says, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So we need to know that God is our creator and that we have been made in his image uh, and that he loves us and that we are designed for dignity. And if we have been sinned against in some way, if we have experienced hate, if we have experienced discrimination, if, if you've ever been told you're not enough, then, then you do need to hear that God made you. You are his creation. Uh, you are beautiful and you are loved. And if people have treated you in ways that are, that are wrong, then I'm sorry for that. It is wrong. And they, they should not have treated you in that way. But if we, if we stop right there, which is what we tend to do culturally, if, if we stop right there, then we're going to miss the whole truth. And we're going to miss the truth that actually has the ability to free us. Because what the scripture says is, yes, we are made in God's image. We are made in God's likeness. We are good creations of God. We are created to be in relationship with God. But the story doesn't end there. The story goes on in that we were created to be in a relationship with God, but we turned our back on God and we walked away from God. And we said, you know, I'm, God, I'm, I'm really not interested in having this relationship with you where you are the king and you tell me what I need to be doing. I've got to be me. And you're cramping my style and, and I'm going to do what I think I need to do in order to be myself. And so mankind rebels against God and comes under his wrath and curse and becomes liable to the very judgment of God. And so, yes, we are made in the image of God, but we are, we are broken image bearers. We are, we are not who we are intended to be. So think about this for a minute. Imagine somebody, uh, someone who has sinned against you. And if you're not buying all the sin language, then imagine somebody who's wronged you in some way. All right. What are you looking for in them? Do you want them to just accept themselves for who they are? I'm just an adulterer. It's how God made me. I'm just a thief. It's how God made me. I'm just a selfish and manipulative person who likes to use other people. And that's just how God made me. And you just need to accept me for who I am. Now, you know, we, you know that's messed up. Right? You, you know that's not right. You know that in order for there to be a true restoration of your relationship with the other person, they need to acknowledge that what they've done is wrong. And they need to make some sort of apology and own what they have done and make amends if needed and, and try to head in the right direction. In our relationship with God, we're the person who's in the wrong. We're the person who has done wrong. 
In the book of Hosea, the people of God have abandoned him and they've worshipped the false god of Baal. And then when God begins to bring judgment on them by using the nation of Assyria to punish them, instead of turning to God, they actually turn to Assyria. And basically the king at that time pays off Assyria by levying taxes on the people of Israel and he pays tribute to him so that, so that he'll go away. And this is what verse 13 says about this. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. And Hosea is telling them, Assyria can't help you. Assyria is not going to fix what's wrong with you. And eventually Assyria does come back and destroys the nation of Israel. See, the, the real disease was that Israel had turned away from God. But when, when God wounded them, when their sin quit working out for them like they wanted it to, instead of running to God, they ran to Assyria for help. And that, that's the exact thing that you and I do. We run to Assyria. Uh, in, a, in a world broken by sin, when we have to deal with the effects of the fall and of sin on a daily basis, we run to things that can't cure us. We run to things that can't heal our wounds. Uh, worry. We turn to worry. It can't heal our wounds. Uh, we turn in on ourselves, but that can't heal our wounds. Alcohol can't heal our wounds. Sex can't heal our wounds. The best weekend ever can't heal our wounds. Being the best in our class or the best on the field can't heal our wounds. Being the best in our career, uh, having the best new toy, that can't heal our wounds. Because our wounds are the result of a relationship problem. There's a broken relationship between us and God. And in this relationship, I'm the one who's in the wrong. And God's calling me to acknowledge that. And God's calling you to acknowledge that. In the words of verse 15, God says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Earnestly seek me. And, and the word for all that is, that's what repentance is. Like the word we would use to summarize that verse is, is this is repentance. God is calling us to repent. We've walked away from God's rule and God is calling us to come back. We've said to God, no, not your will be done. No, I'd rather my will be done. And, and, and God is calling us to return and come back to him. So then the next question is, well, what does that look like? What, is, what does repentance look like? Verse 15 again, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress, earnestly seek me. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, Hosea puts himself alongside the people and calls them to repentance. Um, he says, come, let us return to the Lord. And then in verse 3, he goes on to say, let us press on to know the Lord. And so repentance involves an acknowledgement of wrong and accompanying change in direction. It's me walking this way away from God 
and then turning and walking this way and walking back toward God. It's turning away from one thing and turning back to the other. I was in, I ran at Aldi this week um, to, to grab something real quick. And I was going to get um, raisins and oatmeal cream pies because those are the snacks of champions. Um, and, and milk. Uh, and I decided to grab a pack of bell peppers along the way. So I'm, like, I'm trying to carry all this stuff. And I get to the, the front checkout register and there's an older lady there who has like everything in the store in her buggy. And she's like slowly placing it. And there's a guy behind her with like two items. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry if you just got here a little sooner. And I thought he was going to punch her and we were all going to. And I'm like standing here with my stuff. And I finally get to where I can put my stuff on the belt. And I, I look at my phone because I texted Susan and said, do you need anything? I'm running here real quick. And she says, well, actually, I need some Greek yogurt and some bananas and some sandwich meat. And I'm like. I'm, I'm starting to text. I'm already in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back. So I gather everything up and I go back to the store. And I'm, now I've got the sandwich meat and the Greek yogurt and I got the wrong kind and, and like everything. And I'm in the back of the store and I look over and there's this guy with his son and he's got a gallon of milk and he's got lettuce. And I'm looking at him. I'm going, that's all you're getting. You're going to the register, but you're not going to beat me. And so. <laughs> He goes down this aisle, and I go sprinting down the other aisle. Or old middle-aged man walked down the other aisle as fast as I could go, and I, and I beat him to the line, and, and I won. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. And, and this story would work a lot better if I actually dropped everything, but I didn't drop everything. Um, but I very easily could have. And it sins like that sometimes. You kind of get away with it sometimes. But I might be tempted next time to go, well, I can get one more thing in there. And make it to the front. And so what really needs to happen, uh, if, if I'm going to be saved from dropping things in Aldi or from racing fathers with their children down the aisle, is that I need to, be, I need to repent of my refusal to go get the quarter out of my truck and get the stupid shopping cart, right? Because that's what was driving all of this. I'm like, I'm not walking all the way back to my truck to get a quarter to get this shop that they've got changed. Uh, Aldi, you're at, sorry. Um, I say, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to do all that. And so what repentance for me would look like would be a change in direction. Say, okay, this is foolish behavior on my part. I'm going to go over here and do this the right way. That would be repentance to the Aldi gods. Um, what would it, what would it look like for the Israelites to repent? It would mean them acknowledging, yes, we've, we've run after gods that are not gods. And now when we've gotten in trouble, instead of turning back to God, we've turned to Assyria for help. We've been, we've been looking to our own solutions instead of looking to you. And we're going to turn. And we're going to come back to you. And we're going to press on to know you, the Lord, the God who loved us and who rescued us from Egypt. But that's hard, isn't it? R- repentance is hard. Because we, we actually love our items. Um, Woody Allen, I think it was, who said, the heart wants what the heart wants. We have a hard time repenting and, and setting down our false gods. We have a hard time acknowledging our need for a Savior. We hold on to our righteousness. We don't want to be those people who really need Jesus. As Hazel Motes in Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man is Hard to Find says, or it's said about him, he had a deep wordless conviction 
that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And so if, if I don't acknowledge my sin, I don't, have, I don't have to be one of those people that really needs Jesus. And when we do that, when we refuse to acknowledge our sin, for whatever reason, maybe it's just pride, maybe it's because we don't want to be one of those people who really needs Jesus. If we refuse to acknowledge our sin, we get trapped in our own sin. We can get trapped in our own shame. Because we do often feel shame about what we've done. We get trapped in that. And, and maybe we're even afraid. We're afraid, I don't know if God's actually going to forgive me if I come clean. I don't know if my parents are actually going to forgive me if I come clean. I don't know if the people around me are actually going to forgive me if I come clean. If they knew what I thought. If they knew what I struggled with. And so we're trapped there and, and we keep our sin to ourselves. And when we keep our sin to ourselves, they keep their grip on us. And our wounds never get healed. So what we have to know in order to repent is not only that our sin is wrong, that it brings us under God's judgment. We also have to know that God is ready to receive us and forgive us and heal us. And that's our last point. What does repentance bring? What does repentance bring? See, we we have to know what repentance brings. We have to know what God has in store for us if we turn from our sin in order for us to actually do that. What what, what does Hosea say about this in verse 1 of chapter 6? He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Verse 2, he will revive us. He will raise us up. Verse 3, He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains water the earth. If you're like wondering from God, then you need to know that God longs for you to return so that he can forgive you and heal you and cause you to flourish. Uh, When I was a kid, the first television I remember having was a 13-inch black and white television. I think he got three channels. Uh, and I remember like one day at lunch watching my, my dad was on TV being interviewed like on the 12 o'clock news because he worked for the Soil Conservation Service and was something about farming and farmers. And none of y'all care about that. But that was like one of my first TV memories, this 13-inch black and white TV. And then when I was about six years old, we got a color TV. And I remember going to, to Kmart to get this color TV and suddenly we had you know, three channels still, but they were all in color. And then a few years after that, we got cable for the first time. And, you know, we had 25 channels or whatever. But, but we, we, the, the great thing was you got to get rid of the rabbit ears on the TV. And, and these television stations actually came through. And if you've never had the joy of having rabbit ears, which is like this metal antenna on top of your television, if you've never had the joy of trying to wrap aluminum foil around rabbit ears, then you're probably under 40. Um, but, but anyway... So, so there's these progressions, and then we finally get um, HDTV, I mean, not HDTV, that would be glorious for my wife, high-def television, right? I can remember when that came along. And do you remember, those of you who can remember the before and after, do you remember the first thing you saw in high-definition? The first thing I saw in high-definition was uh, Planet Earth on BBC, and the first thing I remember on that is they showed this time-lapse photography of the desert. And 
it would show the, the rains come. And then this barren desert would just blossom into life. All these gorgeous flowers, yellow and orange and whatever they were, just spring into life. And it's, it's there in high depth. And you feel like you're there. And it's just this amazing experience. And I think that's a picture of what God does in our lives when we repent and when we turn to him. He revives us and he raises us up and he restores us and he brings life where there was death. And he causes us to blossom and to flourish. The Old Testament people of God had these promises from God like this is what's going to happen if you repent. That if they returned, he would heal them. But they had had something else all along that they had been missing. And what they had had all along that promised forgiveness was that they had had this sacrificial system where you would bring an animal, a bull or a lamb, and you would bring it to the tent of meeting and you would place it there and you would put your hand on that animal and then you would slaughter the animal. And what was being symbolized there was that your, your sin was being transferred to that animal and that animal was taking the punishment for your sin. And it, it symbolized what had to happen for you to be forgiven. And that forgiveness was possible with God. But those animals couldn't actually bring about forgiveness. Instead, those animals, those lambs, pointed to another lamb. A lamb who would come and who would hang on the cross and on the third day would rise from the dead. Those lambs pointed to Jesus. Who would come as the representative of his people and bear their sin for them so that they could have newness of life. How can you and I be a part of that? How can, we, how can we get some of that? How can we be brought in the newness of life? It's by turning away from my sin, repenting and turning and placing my hand on the Lamb. Placing my hand on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ goes and He bears my sin and my shame and my guilt and He takes it to the cross And takes the consequences of it for me so that I can be free. And so that I can rise to newness of life. And so that I can blossom. And so that I can flourish. What does that that look like practically? Like when when I come and, and, and I receive forgiveness. And I'm, my shame is done away with. And my guilt is done away with. And I've. I'm adopted into the family of God. What does that look like practically then for me to blossom and flourish like a flower in the desert? I want to just suggest three things to you as as we close what that looks like. Number one, it looks like a growing freedom to no longer hide my sins and struggles, but to be honest about them with God and with his people. It looks like a growing freedom to no longer hide my sins and struggles, but to be honest about them with God and and with his people. I was in Colorado two weeks ago for a uh, pastor's retreat, and it it really probably is one of the the best things you guys allow me to do each year. I know I come back with pictures of elk in the Rocky Mountains, and you're like, why are we sending that guy out there? He needs to be here working. Let, Let me tell you why. Um, when, when I'm there, I get to get together with a group of pastors who can laugh and cry together and confess our sins to one another and to own our weaknesses and to ask for help and to pray for one another. 
Uh, I heard testimony that week, this past, or two weeks ago, from a pastor uh, who was driving his car and struck and killed a pedestrian. And what the next 18 months of his life looked like after that. Her testimony from a pastor who had this long struggle with anger. Another who had a long struggle with alcohol and is now going to AA and has, has, has found freedom from that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of dawned on me over the years that you really need two things to be able to be honest about your sin and to confess it. Number one, you need to believe the gospel. You need to believe the gospel. But secondly, you need people around you who believe the gospel. Who are going to be able to hear your confession. And, and Because when, when you have that combination, it creates an atmosphere in which you can be honest. And you can be free from all that, I've got all my crap together stuff that we always try to act like in the church. Because on some level we're not believing the gospel and we feel like we have to act like that. And in that honest confession, you begin to leave sins behind that you thought you'd never be able to leave behind. And in that honest confession, you begin to better understand the love of God and what it meant for Jesus to die for you. And in that honest confession, you'll be able to quit hiding in shame. And you'll begin to blossom like the flowers in the desert. Secondly, it looks like honest confession. It looks like humble boldness. Um, to begin to have the ability to speak the truth in love to yourself and to other people as well. Todd Flippin this week sent me a, a clip of uh, the African-American rapper Propaganda. And he's got a song called uh, Precious Puritans. And the song is about how hard it is for him as an African-American man to sit in the church and hear pastors talk about how great the Puritans were, how they were such spiritual giants, when at the same time they turned a, a blind eye to slavery. And he says, hey, here's some of the lyrics, he says, you know they was chaplains on slave ships, right? Would you quote Columbus to Cherokees? Would you quote Cortez to Aztecs if their theology was good? It just seems of blind privilege, wouldn't you agree, your precious Puritans? How come the things the Holy Spirit showed them in the Valley of Vision didn't compel them to knock on their neighbor's door and say, you can't own people? Your precious Puritans were not perfect. So it's, he's got this ability to be bold. And let me say, as I kind of read that, the gospel should give white people the ability to hear this and not be upset about that, but to be convicted about that. But then, and if you just end in there, it would, it would feel a little bit kind of like a rant. But it, but it doesn't end there. He, he says this, And it bothers me when you quote the Puritans, if I'm honest, for the same reason it bothers me when people quote me, their precious propaganda. So I guess it's true that God really does use crooked sticks to make straight lines just like your precious Puritans. Do you hear the, the boldness? And yet the humility at the same time. God used them in spite of their sin. And I'm going to point that sin out to you because you haven't been able to acknowledge it. But it's not like I'm any better. He uses me not because I'm so great and have figured all this out. He uses me in spite of my sin too. I'm a crooked stick too. And when you get that, 
When you get that you are a sinner and yet loved and forgiven by God's grace. When you get what Hosea says here that it's God who heals us. And God who binds us up. And God who revives us. And God who raises us up. We don't do any of this ourselves. When you get grace, you'll be able to call sin a sin, yes, boldly. But you'll also be incredibly humble because you know that that sin starts with you. That that sin starts with you. That you are a sinner, not saved because you figured it out, but you're saved by grace. And that grace is a soul in which you can grow and flourish. And that type of grace creates an atmosphere in which people want to know about Jesus. And in which the church itself can blossom and flourish. Last thing. Flourishing looks like, among other things, honest confession, humble boldness. And then finally, it looks like pressing on to know the Lord. Isaiah says, let us press on to know the Lord. See, God doesn't want you just to like, get your moral code right. And start checking off the right boxes and, and doing the right thing. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. And when I realized that, when I realized the extent to which he has gone to secure that relationship and make that relationship possible, when, when I realized I was made for that relationship, and I keep trying to find what's available to me in that relationship. I keep trying to find it in idols and in Syria and everywhere else. When I realize that that's available to me in God, I want to press on to know Him. What does that look like practically? It looks like what you're doing now. Uh, gathering with God's people to worship and, and to hear His Word. It, it, it's what you do when you gather with each other in small groups and community groups and small group Bible studies and, and you pray together and you read scripture and you encourage one another. It looks what you do in your own times of, of personal worship. Where you take a few minutes and, and you, you think about who God is. And you press on to know him. I've, I've mentioned this little devotional book before. Um, it's, it's called Seeking God's Face, which is what... God calls us to do in this chapter to, to seek his face uh, and, and each day it's very short there's, there's an invitation to meet with God there's a Bible song which is one of the Psalms there's a short reading and then it says hey go back and read that again because what do we we always just like check it off I read my scriptures and say hey, wait 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 go back and read that again and think about it for a little bit and then it gives you two or three things to pray for and then it gives you an actual prayer to pray and then it gives you a blessing to go about your day with God's blessing. And so I, I would encourage you maybe to, to pick this up. It's called Seeking God's Face. Uh, and I would invite you also, men, um, I, I've done this once, and I, I think I'm going to start doing this again. We've got a men's group that meets on Thursday morning at 6 o'clock at Papa's to pray. And, and what I'm going to start doing is start bringing this. And instead of just talking and praying, we're going we're gonna to work through actually meditating on Scripture together. What does it look like for us just to stop and think about this and think about who God is? Nothing fancy, five or ten minutes, and then go on with our day. And, and I offer that as an encouragement because I think a lot of us don't know how to do this. Like, we just kind of got this nebulous idea of I ought to read my Bible, then we try to read it and we fail, and we're like, all right, that didn't work. Uh, Leviticus was too hard or whatever. Um, and so I, I would just invite you to, to, to come, men, and, and ladies, you can come too. 
you want to, if you want to get up at six and come hang out with us, we'll let you come too. Uh, but 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 find somewhere where where, where you can do that. Uh, find a group of people will help who will help you to learn to see God's face. I'll close with verse three. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. We pray for us. Father, we would make that our prayer right now. Um, Father, if we have, have turned away, I pray that you would grant repentance and help us to return to you. And then in returning to you, that we would know how to press on and to know you. And in knowing you, I pray that you would cause our lives to flourish and to bear much fruit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.